Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends. Welcome to the You Are the Current Resident podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. My name is Ed Morgan, and I'm your host. As we speak, my Philadelphia Phillies are 10 and a half games out of first place. Sitting next to me is our national president, Brian Renfro, and I guess we don't really want to talk about his Braves. How you doing, Brian? Hey, Eddie. I'm doing great. Since we record this a little bit in advance, I hope by the time the listeners hear it, that lead grows a little bit. It's been a fun year. We're not playing bad. We're just not playing great. Today, we're going to be talking about DOAS PS Form 3996 and PS Form 1571, an overtime request. I sat down earlier this week and came up with some questions that our members might have. If I didn't ask your question or a question you thought of after, you can always ask through our Ask the Mailbag segment. Submit your questions by emailing us at social at nalc.org. This is one of those topics where the saying, the union begins with you, really holds true. I wanted to talk about this, especially for our newer carriers, a refresher for more, our more experienced carriers, and maybe even a way to pass along the podcast to some of our newer members. I'd like you to walk me through my morning casing routine. Picture it. I walk into my station back in Philadelphia. I have a soft pretzel on my hand, and I pick up my scanner and clock in. I walk over to my case. As I go along, you hear, go birds, go birds. Great game last night. I start casing my mail, and after a while, I notice my mail volume's high. And I'm not going to make it to the street on time. What should I do? Yeah, so this is a great topic. And just a few things before we get into some details. Uh, Eddie's got some great questions that I'm sure are very common to just what the average letter carrier out there has. But this is a really important thing. This is one of the few things that every letter carrier deals with, if not every single day, (laughs) then at least a, a sizable percentage of their days every morning. And it's not something that's typically enjoyable. I mean, I guess there may be a few of us that are a little bit sick that enjoy this process a little bit. But what we want to do today is just give you some really practical advice. And throughout, I'm sure we'll talk about some handbooks and manuals and national settlements and things like that. But for the most part, what I'm going to try to do as Eddie goes through these questions is just offer you some practical advice in very plain English just about what you can do every day. And the questions that Eddie has, I think, will, again, be kind of common situations that most people are, are used to dealing with. So back to your question about you're, you're there in the morning and you see based on your mail volume, typically that would be the main factor. But Uh, Sometimes there could be other factors. You see that you're not going to be able to get out of the office on time, so therefore you're likely not going to be able to make your assignment in in your normal time, your eight hours. So there is a very detailed process that places responsibility on each letter carrier. It also replaces some responsibility on uh, your supervisor and your management there. So as we walk through these, again, just keep in mind that what we're going to try to offer you here is very practical advice. So the first thing that you do is once you realize based on your mail volume, you won't be able to complete your assignment in your normal time, your eight hours, The first thing you are required to do as a letter carrier is to verbally inform your manager that you will not be able to complete your assignment in eight hours. So you just very simply just tell them, and then they are required to 
respond and tell you what they want you to do. So you always will follow their instructions. If you still believe you can't finish your route in eight hours, then your next step is you are going to request a form. And that form is a PS Form 3996. Most of you listening, unless you're brand new, which we hope you're listening if you're brand new or familiar with this form, it's a form that has spaces on the front for information. If you flip over to the back, it's got instructions about how to fill it out. But once you request this form, management has a obligation to give you this form. If they refuse to give you this form, you need to ask to speak to your shop steward immediately. If they do give you this form, which they should, the next step for you is to fill out that form completely. So you fill out that form completely there's different places have different methods of turning it in. Some hang it on the maybe a clip on their case. Some will turn it into a manager. Some will have a place on the on the supervisor's desk where they go put it. Whatever your local procedure is there. After you filled it out completely, you turn it in, and the next step will be um, the manager coming over to you at some point and uh, and having a, a conversation. So, which I think will lead into its next few questions here. So halfway through my conversation with my supervisor, they start talking about DOAS. Can you explain to me what DOAS is? Sure. So once they come over and have the conversation, often they're going to tell you, you know, let's just say for the sake of this conversation, for example, you know, you think you need 45 minutes. You know, that's how far you're going to go over your eight hours. And, you know, sometimes they'll come and say, no, you don't need that much. And as you mentioned, they will often reference DOIS. So D-O-I-S stands for Delivery Operations Information System. And this is a computer program that management uses. It houses all kinds of information, but for the purposes of what we're talking about today, it has a projection system. And the way that projection system works is it includes a base office and street time for your assignment that's a result of, should be anyway, a result of the last route adjustment that that assignment had. And it also includes calculations of, you know, based on the number of caseable letters and caseable flats that you have, which again is subject to management counting the mail, which is not always the most accurate count. But it comes up with a projection of, based on the information that it has, of what that it should, in, at least in the opinion of the computer, take a letter carrier to deliver the route that day. Now, these are the most important things to understand. There are lots of things that we deal with that it does not take into account. Weather, streets closed, mail that may be particularly difficult to handle. We all know that there's certain types of mail that just as a letter carrier, be it casing or delivering that mail, it just moves a little smoother and others are more difficult. So there's a lot of different factors there. The important thing, the most important thing, is to know that these projections are nothing more than a tool for management to use. In years past, we have, NALC has filed multiple national level grievances on this system. Those have been resolved. For those of you that are familiar, we have something on our website called the Materials Reference System. It's a, a system for keeping up with a number of different settlements and, and other documents, and we assign numbers to those that starts with an M. So that's easy to find on the website under the Workplace Resources tab. But the two relevant settlements for DOAS are M 
1764 and M 1769. And in a nutshell, what both of those say is that this DOA system is a management tool and it does not change what you as the letter carrier and the manager's responsibilities are. It's simply a tool for helping them estimate a, a carrier's workload. So nothing can replace the opinion of you, the professional letter carrier. So in the event they come and they start talking to you about DOAS, that should not change your opinion. Your opinion should be based on what you know about the route, what you know about the mail you have, any circumstances specific to that particular day. So when they talk about DOAS, and, and they may very well mention it to you, you should remember that and, and maybe even make note of it, but don't let it influence your opinion because your opinion is really what's most important. And we'll get into a little more kind of the specific responsibilities that you have as well as the specific responsibilities that your uh, manager has. So what's manager's responsibility during this conversation? Well, their responsibility is to make approve, disapprove, some disposition of your request for on that 3996 for auxiliary assistance or for overtime, whatever. They are the ones that have to make that decision. Our responsibility is to notify them and fill out the form and their managers, they get paid to manage and their responsibility is to make those decisions. And you know, oftentimes those decisions might um, conflict with your opinion, which that's okay. There, there's definitely um, ways to handle that that we'll get into. So their responsibility is to take all the information they have in front of them, the most important of which is is your opinion, and decide what it is that they want to, to do with that in order to get all the mail delivered that day. What if I ask for a 3996 and they tell me no? Immediately request to see your shop steward. So if you request that form and they say no, request to see your steward. If they provide their steward with your steward, which they have to, they have an obligation to do that, just simply tell your shop steward, I requested a 3996 and they refuse to give it to me. Let the steward handle it from that point forward. If they deny your request for a shop steward or say you can talk to them later, make a note that at such and such time, I asked manager such and such to 439.96. They said no. I requested to speak to my shop steward, and they told me no. And then give that to your shop steward and let them deal with that. That almost always will turn into a grievance. So if they tell you no, immediately request to see your shop steward. That's just the, that's the most important thing to remember. Uh, what do I do if they say okay and they hand me a 39.96? Yep, you take that form and uh, fill it out completely. There's instructions on the back. Often we see habits in certain locations where people may not fill it out completely. That just might be the way they do it. But we as letter carriers have an obligation that when we request the form to fill it out completely. It's not a very complicated form, but you fill out the sections. It's pretty simple and straightforward. And if you have any questions about it, just simply flip it over. And on the back side, it has instructions. What do I do if the supervisor is trying to give me the old okie doke, trying to give me every excuse in the book on why I don't need overtime or help to make eight hours? All right. Now, this is very important. And this is the piece that is usually most frustrating for anyone that deals with this. And, you know, too often we see this result in confrontation and it results in 
tempers flaring and, you know, just a, a, a bad environment and circumstance for everyone. But there's a few things that you should do. Number one, after you request, you, you fill out the form, this conversation starts. If they ask you questions, you, you know, why do you think this? You Even though you've written the reason on your form, you can say, just like my form says, blah, blah, blah. There's a few things to do, though. Number one, do not lose your cool. Look, Sometimes it can be very frustrating, can almost be insulting sometimes to go through this process, but it will not help you in any way to lose your cool. So stay calm. If they tell you, I don't think you need this time, you say, you know, then just simply say, well, you know, I, I think I do need it. If they say, I want you back in eight hours and you think you need eight hours and 45 minutes and they say, be back in eight hours, ask them what they want you to do in the event you're not able to deliver all the mail by the time that they've approved. So always want to try to put the ball back in the manager's court. It's their responsibility to manage. It's their responsibility to make decisions. Next, do not argue with them. You know, that's not something that is is you're likely never going to change their mind. They typically have already made their mind up based on something other than the the reasons that you have. And there's just nothing that's going to be beneficial to you as a letter carrier by arguing with them. If you, in the example we just gave, if they say, I want you back in eight hours, you don't think you can make it. You ask them, what, what do you want me to do if I'm not able to deliver it? You know, usually they'll just say something like, well, you're going to be able to or deliver it all and be back in that time. At that point, just simply tell them, I'll do my best. Okay, uh, period. Don't spend any time or energy arguing with them. Just say, I'll do my best. Finish up casing your mail and pulling down and hit the street. Just go on about your business and doing your job. Be sure that they are the ones that make decisions. You know, letter cares, we get paid to case, pull down, and deliver mail, period. Managers get paid to make decisions. So we always want to put that ball back in their court in terms of making those decisions. So just follow those. Stay calm. Don't argue with them. Let them, if they tell you something, and this will often happen when they'll, if they deny your request, just simply say you'll do your best and then, and then move on. Am I supposed to skip a break or two, take some shortcuts, or even jog between deliveries to make up time? No. You should never, under any circumstances, sacrifice your safety, number one. Number two, don't skip your breaks, don't skip your lunches. I mean, those are things that, uh, number one, you don't get paid for lunch, so we certainly don't want you working during your lunch period off the clock. And then your breaks are there for a reason. Breaks in the morning and the afternoon where during especially times of year like right now when it's hot in the summer, you, you need to take those breaks. But the question that comes up most often is that the process in the office is usually pretty straightforward in terms of the form. Really what we get into is, is out on the street. So, But number one, you just go out, you do your job, you work as efficiently as you can, but you certainly be safe. And, you know, the fact that a manager disapproves your request for overtime or auxiliary assistance should not change what you do in terms of delivering mail and serving your customers. All right. So now I'm halfway through my route or route, however you guys say it, and I know I'm not going to make it back and eat. 
What do I do? Cut back on some third class mail? Bring back some mail? Or just stay out there and finish? Yeah, so this is where it can get complicated. The thing to remember is whether you're in the office in the morning and you are, or you're out on the street, they get paid to make the decisions. So make them make the decision. If you're out there, going back to Eddie's question, and you see you're not going to make it, call back to the office. A lot of times you'll have local instructions about this, you know, what time to call and things like that. Just follow your local instructions, call back and and say, look, here's where I am. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to make it in the time that you approved. What do you want me to do? And sometimes they'll give you the same old answer. I want you to finish by such and such time. Say, well, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be able to do that. What do you want me to do? Make them make the decision. Now, a lot of times you'll call a post office. Nobody answers the phone. If you call and your supervisor's not there and you speak to someone else, let them know you called, ask them to call you back, make a note on your phone or write down, you know, what time you called, who you spoke to. If nobody answers, then just continue to work up until the time that you were approved. So if they approve you eight hours and that's all, they they deny your request for overtime and you call and nobody answers and nobody calls you back, you should keep trying call multiple times and you still can't get in touch with anyone, then you should go back to the office in the time that they allotted you. I mean, there's a lot more details. I think Eddie's got some questions that we'll get into, but the idea is to continue at whatever point it is in the day to let them make that decision. All right. So say I get them on the horn and a supervisor won't give me a clear instructions. What do I do? They just keep on saying, deliver all the mail and be back and eat. Yeah, well, the first thing you would do is say, I can't do that. You know, I'm telling you, this is where I am and, you know, I'm not going to be done in eight. And then, like you said, a lot of times they may say to you, don't call back and don't bring mail back. If they just absolutely tell you to come back at a certain time, you should just go back at that time. And when you get back to the office, if you've got mail left to deliver, ask them what they want you to do. One thing is very important. Do not go back to the office at whatever time they've approved. And when you get there, just leave the mail and leave. Do not do that. When you get back to the office, make them tell you what to do with the mail. If there any issue arises with any of this, request to see your shop steward, explain to them what happened. But in a nutshell, just to kind of summarize what while you're out on the street, if you see you're not going to make it, by, say, afternoon sometime, call back to the office, tell them, here's where I am, I'm not going to make it in that time, what do you want me to do? If they refuse to tell you what to do, you can't get in touch with anyone, come back at the time they approved, and while you're there physically at the office, same thing. Ask them, what do you want me to do? Whatever they tell you to do, Go ahead and do it. If you're someone that's not on the overtime list and they tell you to go back out, you can request to see your shop steward. If your shop steward's obviously not there, then you would just go ahead and follow their instructions and let your shop steward know. So I let my shop steward know. They're great. They'll handle it, right? In most cases, yes, but your shop steward will often come to you in a circumstance like this. They may ask you to write a statement about what happened that day. They may want to interview you. So 
as you go through on a particular day, if you have some of the issues that we're discussing here, it's a really good idea to keep notes so that that you have that information. The more information you can provide to your shop steward in, in terms of detail. So, you know, at such and such time, I talked to this person and this is what they told me, things like that, the better. So once you let your steward know, they will handle it, yes, but there are things that they likely will, will ask you for that can be helpful, particularly in the case if, if it's an issue that's not resolved quickly and, and turns into a grievance that, that may have to advance through the process. So a detailed statement of what took place from you is going to be the best documentation that your steward can have, and this will be very easy for you to do as long as you keep notes of these things as they were, they were happening, be that what we talked about in the morning or in the office, or things that take place while you're out on the street, or even when you get back to the office in the afternoon. Say the supervisor mentions a 1571. What is that? All right, so a PS Form 1571 is a form that should be filled out by you, the letter carrier, anytime mail is curtailed. Sometimes that may be a decision that a manager makes in the morning where they tell you to, you know, leave some third class mail behind, not case it, maybe take it the next day. It could also be if you bring mail back from off the street. So just like a 3996, anytime mail is distributed to your case in the morning and it is not delivered that day, whether it was you don't take it out at all in the morning or it comes back in the afternoon, you should fill out the PS Form 1571. That is documentation of that mail being left there and honestly can protect you, the carrier, if there's some question arises later that day, that night, or, or the next day. So what if the supervisor tells me to curtail mail and bring, or bring back mail, but then they won't supply that 1571? What do I do? Yeah, the first thing you should do is just like with the 3996, if they won't give it to you, you should request to see your uh, shop steward. If your shop steward's not available, again, just make a note of that and, and say they refuse to give this to me. In this particular case, you should also make a note if they refuse to give it to you. And let's say your shop steward's not available immediately for whatever reason, you should make a note of how much mail was curtailed what class, how many pieces or inches or feet or, or whatever, so that, you know, you have some sort of documentation. And uh, kind of the last piece of this, and this goes for not just a 1571, but also for a 3996. Anytime you fill out one of those forms, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon, and you give it to management, you should always, 100% of the time, request a copy of that form for a number of reasons. One, you having a copy is kind of a receipt, so to speak. So as, as we talked about a minute ago with the 1571, but also in the event that you speak to your shop steward and this turns into potential grievance, that'll be very helpful to your steward that you already have that copy. So it's a couple more quick things on 1571s um, before we move on. It is a form that you fill out, you know, about mail that was curtailed. One thing that's very important, and this is one of those absolutes, and it, this, this, this sentence is going to start with the word never, and that means never, under no circumstances. You should never curtail mail unless you are instructed to do so by your manager. Those are decisions that, once again, managers get paid to make, carriers don't get paid to make. So throughout the process, 
the entire day, even in the afternoon, comes to a, a 1571, put that ball back in their court and let them tell you to curtail the mail, at which point you would fill out your 1571. And always, once again, request a copy of it. What if I wanted to get this information and share it with some of my coworkers? Where can I find it? Yeah, so we've published really everything I just talked about is is written. I guess the best source of information for not just this topic, but a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, that has to do with with daily activities and your responsibilities and manager's responsibilities and also benefits and all, all sorts of things. In a publication that uh, NALC created called the Letter Carrier Resource Guide, that document is available on our website in electronic form, which is these days how most people use it. If you did want to request a printed copy of it, when you go to our website up in the top right corner, there's a button there for the members only portal. You can log in there. It's really easy for you to log in. And if you want to request a hard copy of that, there's a kind of a button there you can click once you log in. And uh, we every, I think, couple weeks or so, we, we pull the folks that have requested that and, and we'll get a hard copy of it out to you. But I encourage anybody that's out there, if you haven't reviewed this document, most of the things that, that we create here at, at headquarters are designed to assist those that, that are involved in representation in some form, be that as a shop steward or, you know, we have OWCP publications and all our contract materials. This is a guide that is written for all letter carriers. So if you're particularly a newer letter carrier, this should be a wealth of information and knowledge for you. So I really encourage you to check out that letter care resource guide. We update it periodically. You know, things change. As you all know, we're in uh, contract negotiations right now. And once we get a new collective bargaining agreement, then I'm sure there'll be things in this guide that we need to update and we'll do that. But it's out there for you. There's a whole chapter on everything we just talked about, the forms and the process in the morning. And you can utilize that to help you Reading over it now and then is not a bad idea, even if you've been a letter carrier for a long time. It's it's full of things that um, are designed to be very practical advice to, to help you with everything we do every day. All right, great. That were my questions this week. If I missed one of your questions, you can always ask it through the Ask the Mailbag segment. You can reach out and submit your questions by emailing us at social at NALC.org. All right, let's hit our Ask the Mailbag segment. We have our first letter in from Eric Wilkin from Branch 35. Greetings from Little Rock. Curious to know when the next generation delivery vehicle will be rolling our way. I have concerns over the local stations are going to be able to store and recharge the electric vehicles. I'm also curious to know how the NGDV will perform in extreme weather, particularly in the heat in Arkansas. Yeah, good question, Eric. So let's first take the win. And the win, I can't speak to you specifically, but I can tell you that in 2024, we will start to see these new uh, next generation delivery vehicles be used by letter carriers. That schedule is still being hammered out a little bit in terms of the deployment and when 
certain locations will receive the vehicles. I, I will tell you that the SNDCs are the initial locations. In fact, we've got a lot of work going on in some of those locations right now to install the infrastructure for charging for the electric NGDV. So, but next year we'll see those things start rolling off the uh, assembly line and letter carriers begin to use them. As far as your question, as it relates to uh, extreme weather, I guess I should first take just expand a little bit based on what you ask regarding the electric vehicles. We have seen an increase in terms of the the percentage of the total, at least in the initial 50,000 that will be electric. Those mostly are going to be placed, I think, initially in the SNDCs. Those are bigger locations where we normally have room to install the infrastructure. Definitely understand your concerns. You know, some post offices and delivery units are in really, really old places and in little tight quarters and in cities and towns. So there's some challenge there for sure in terms of installing that infrastructure, but there's a lot of possibilities. And, you know, there's some places where they just simply won't work. I mean, and, and we know that going in, but there's plenty of areas where we'll be able to install them. As far as the extreme weather, so there's a couple different things. Number one, there was a lot of carrier input. I mean, we had dozens of letter carriers at different points in the processes over the last, I don't know, eight, years or so, maybe more than that, that gave feedback and did some testing with the vehicles and looked at it in various phases of the process to advise. And then from a durability standpoint, these vehicles have been put through extensive testing, extreme heat, extreme weather, extreme mileage. We actually utilize some facilities that major auto manufacturers in the United States, I won't go into any more detail than that, but basically proving grounds that they use where they have machinery and equipment that replicates every imaginable durability test. So we feel pretty good about where they are just in terms of that they've been tested. Not to say that there's not some extreme out there that the vehicle may not be suited for, but in the vast, vast, vast majority, you know, of the country compared to every other vehicle we've ever had before at the Postal Service, we feel pretty good about where they are as far as durability and being able to use in different types of weather. I mean, there's different you know, some of these things are all-wheel drive, and, you know, there's a, a number of, there's a little more customization than there was maybe with LOVs. I know a lot of you that work in some cold weather locations have a really difficult time with LOVs, and I can tell you a lot of those common issues such as clearance and being able to navigate certain conditions that we've experienced for a long time with the LOVs have been addressed in this new vehicle. So overall, I think we're in a really good position there. Madeline from Branch 2202 wants to ask about annual leave in lieu of holiday pay. Can you explain that, please? Back in the, I guess it was 2019 agreement, the um, last agreement, we negotiated a new language in Article 11 of our agreement. It's in Sections 3 and 4 that allow a city carrier that if you work on a holiday, rather than receiving your holiday pay, you can exchange that for annual leave. So just for example, if you work on your holiday or your designated holiday, for the purposes of this, they're exactly the same. You would typically get paid for your the amount of time you work as well as your holiday pay. You can, instead of getting your holiday pay, you can fill out a 3971. There's a section on there. It's your normal leave slip that says type of absence. And there's a box there that says holiday slash 
annual leave exchange. You check that box, turn that in to your supervisor, and uh, then there's a process there where they can credit you annual leave in lieu of your holiday pay. Sarah from Trenton, those Trenton pizzas are the best. She said she's a CCA. She heard about CCAs that might be able to get vision and dental health care. Could you explain that to her? Yeah, so just recently, the uh, Office of Personnel Management, or OPM, who is the government agency that administers lots of things personnel-wise and a lot of stuff that affects us as far as benefits and retirement and things like that, they just recently, within their own authority under the law, extended some of the benefits they offer to non-career employees, which includes CCAs. This is done through a program called FedVIP, where they offer dental and vision coverage. This is different than medical, and this is true not just for non-career, this is true for any employees. If you're a career employee right now, you have access to this. One key difference is there are no employer contributions, so you have to pay the entire premium. But in some circumstances, some people find that to be worth it. This new rule, though, extends it to non-career employees, and it's currently available right now. You should, if you wish to sign up for that, I believe that the this kind of special open season for non-career employees is available until September the 24th. So if you want to find out a little bit more about that, you can go to www.benefeds.com. That is www.benefeds.com. And you'll see some information there on how to sign up. So if you're a non-career employee out there and you're interested in looking at some dental or vision insurance, you now have that opportunity. So check out benefits.com. And after this date, I think it's important to remember if you don't do this by September 24th, you can only do it each fall during open season. Or there are some other, some things we call a qualifying life event if you get married or your status in some way changes that, that you may have an opportunity. So that's something you think you may be interested in. Check it out. Brian, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks, Eddie. I want to thank you all for listening to the, this episode of the You Are the Current Resident podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode, and please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. You can follow the NALC on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or as X is it now called, it'll always be Twitter to me, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts on the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. Again, if you have any questions or you have some feedback about the podcast, you can always reach out via our email at social at NALC.org. May your steward be by your side and your union have your back. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.